Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the 1.7 podcast. This episode is very dear to my heart. And by the title, how I began to understand African-American experience, I think with it being African uh, American History Month um, is an important episode uh, for me. I grew up in the Caribbean island of Trinidad and Tobago. I wasn't born in the USA, even though I am now an American citizen. So Trinidad and Tobago is a very diverse place with a very diverse history. Okay, so originally it was discovered by Christopher Columbus, Spanish, right? Uh, somewhere down the line, we traded hands with the French and then was traded to the British. So it's a very diverse culture. After slavery, the new working populace were East Indians, and they were also Chinese, and they were also people from Portugal, right? Portuguese. So even in the culture, it's a very, very diverse culture. So my mom, my grandfather came from St. Vincent, and he is obviously of African descent, um, looks very much like me. My dad, on the other hand, if you look at him, he does have dark skin, but it's very obvious that he is very, very mixed. His entire family on that side is very mixed. Um, it's very possible that he may have had lineage from the Arawaks and the Caribs who were um, the original inhabitants of Trinidad and Tobago. So there's a lot of diversity in the island. So coming to the United States as, as a student, I had my own worldview. So one time when I was in college, we were just hanging out and uh, we were having lunch at what we would call the international students table. All right. And we're just kicking it. Right. So we're kicking it with the Tanzanians and the Liberians and the Russians and the Ukrainians. Of course, Trinidadians there, Nigerians are there and we're having fun. All right. We're having fun. We're living a dream. We're in America getting an education. Right. And of course, you had the broader population of students that were white students. They're just doing their thing, having lunch. And then I remember in the midst of all of this celebration at our table, there was a couple African-American kids sitting over by themselves and they somehow didn't seem as happy as we were. And something just registered in my mind. And I don't know where this came from and I'm, I'm very embarrassed by it, but I think it's important to share. Right away in my mind, I cast a judgment and I said to myself, hmm, something is wrong with black people in America. Think about that for a minute. Somewhere between Trinidad and Tobago, that life experience, and being in college here, somewhere the programming had me thinking that something was wrong with African-Americans. And I think a lot of people come to the country, right? And if you talk to African-Americans, you would hear some of them say, well, yeah, some of people from Africa, you know, the parents say to them, don't hang out with African-Americans, right? You've heard that in a, in from a lot of races, right? That would say, now we're not messing with African-Americans. And this guy from Trinidad who comes from a diverse place, supposedly understands diversity, had that kind of thinking. But fortunately for me, I was able to meet some African-Americans, become friends. And I began to learn the true story 
of their experiences. And I think this is a lot of times an, an, uh, an issue with folks who come here. They don't feel like they have to learn the story from African-Americans specifically. Uh, and a lot of times the idea is, well, we can do something about it and it's based on, on feeling and sentiment, but it's not really based on what the real issue is. And a lot of times the real issue is power. Okay, so so how did I learn the history? All right, I'll tell you. I was in college. I had transferred to a new school and I got a roommate and my roommate was African-American. Okay. So we're hanging out. It's great to be, you know, in a new, in a new college, in a new space, a new experience for me. And we're roommates and we're just getting to know each other and it's great. And it's fantastic. We're great friends. So one time he's telling me a story. And we're talking about this stuff. We tell me a story. And he says, man, one day I was out. I was in like South Minneapolis. I was just riding my bike. And then this cop shows up. A squad car. Takes me off my bike. Arrests me. Handcuffs me. And put me in the back. And they're taking me downtown. And I'm looking at this. I'm listening to this story. I'm like, whoa, I'm listening to this thing. And I'm paying attention. And then he says, so I asked them, why, what did I do? Why are you arresting me? And then he says, the cop in the front turns and says, oh, I'm just training this guy in into, uh, in how to arrest someone. And I would never forget his look. It's almost as if, even though this was a long time ago for him, you can see the pain come back. Right, the the dehumanization come back, and he shows. He says he puts his hand behind his back. He's like, "Man, I was like this," and he said that to me, and I saw him look down like this. And then he says, "From that day on, I hated that story." In us, it changed. It changed my life because it set me now on a trajectory to begin to understand. So I'm like, okay, what is this issue with race? What is it? What is it? What is the issue? So when I began to do my research and I looked at the 60s, and I look at segregation, and I look at all these things, the biggest issue that I came to understand was most of the white folks that I was around acted like nothing had happened or they were like, I never did it, or it was like long ago. But then when you look at the history, it wasn't that long ago. Most of the folks I was around, you're talking about your father and the grandfathers. So if I was in the if I was in African American shoes, yeah, I would be pretty upset about that. Right? Because it's not just some misdemeanor. It's 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 gross in terms of the treatment of African Americans and, and what they were denied as a people. So let's let's be, let's be clear. I don't speak on behalf of the African American community. I'm a Trinidadian. That's now a an American, a Trinidadian American. So why have these conversations? Because one, I believe that I personally, right, as a black person, I am benefiting on the struggles of the African-American experience and by extension, the Native American experience. I believe that I am 
personally benefiting. The roads and the opportunities that has been open to me have been laid by the bones of the African-American community and then by extension, the Native American community. I can only see the world through my lens, which I am a black person. I don't know how um, people who come to America that are not black, that claim diversity, I don't know how they feel about this, right? I have my perspective, okay? Um, you know, we could talk about, uh, you know, the Vivix. We could talk about the Nikki Haley's, right? Who, in my opinion, uh, value their proximity to whiteness greater than their proximity to, to black folks, right? Um, but all I know is as a, as a black man with mixed kids, I ask myself the question, what kind of America right? Do I want to participate in? And what kind of world and worldview do I want my kids to have? And for me, personally, I have chosen to align with and be thankful for uh, the work that the African-American community has done in this country that allows immigrants like myself to come in and participate and have a path uh, for a life and, and a hope. I would hope that all migrants um, would also see that and participate in that way and move through the space in that way. Um, but I don't think that that's uh, going to happen. But I am thankful for, for the work of the African-American community uh, if there's ever a, a solution, uh, I think it will be based in uh, diverse people, uh, specifically, uh, understanding what the truth is uh, around racism. What I have observed that a lot of times in our willingness to, to move past the issue, uh, we focus... In, uh, on the wrong thing. So for example, we would say that uh, progress is being made because we now have uh, diverse friends, you know? So white friends have black friends, black friends have white friends. We would say progress is being made. And even though that is a good thing, I don't think that's a, a measure. And that, that idea is on the left and it's on the right, okay? I don't think being friends is a good measuring stick for for us moving uh, the needle past racism to a more holistic uh, and fair society. And the reason is, is that even way back during the times of slaves, you know, we are human. So we're all drawn together. We're all the same. Right. So it's very easy to be friends. And, and, and racism has never been about not having friendship. Okay. Um, a lot of times we may say, okay, look, so there's interracial marriages and we're dating across uh, ethnic and cultural lines. And we're like, look, hey, things are getting better. And that in itself is good. Uh, but the truth is, is that um, people were risking their lives for love um, way back in the day. 
way back in the day of, of slavery. People were risking their lives for love way back then. And even though that was happening, did that was that really moving uh, the, the the racism needle to more of a holistic society and community? And, and I would say the answer to that is no. But still, people today we look at that and say, "Look, we're doing something good." So, so what will move the the needle? Well, what is racism about? Is it about friendships? No. Uh, is it about uh, interracial marriage or dating or love? No. Racism has always been about money and power. That's what it's always been about. It's always about money and power. The slave trade was all about financial value. And those uh, who benefited from it, they want to keep the power so they can continue to benefit from it. That is what racism is about. Everything that has happened in society, um, you know, whether it's the fact that only uh, 200, you know, uh, black GIs ever received money from the GI Bill, uh, whether it was redlining, uh, whether it's the fact that um, there's a large disparity in, in who gets paid and how much they get paid. All of those decisions comes from the desire of one group to keep power and to be in charge of the finances. That's what it is about. When I was in, in school in Trinidad, I took a class, it was an economics class, and the professor, I don't know, I was probably 14 or 15, and the professor came in and he said, he says, okay, we're gonna talk about economics. And then he started to talk and he said, there's a, Economics is based on the fact that there's a scarcity of resources. He said, economics is based on the fact that there's a scarcity of resources. So everyone couldn't get resources. So then you have to do X, Y, and Z because there's limited resources. And I, I don't know what happened that day, guys. But right away, a young 14-year-old understood. As soon as I, I believed that there was a scarcity in resources, the guy next to me became my competition. Think about that. As soon as I understood that there was a scarcity in resources, the guy next to me became my competition. And I think that's a big part of the lie. I don't believe in essence that there's a scarcity of resources in so much that we can't come together and be the same. I believe that idea of scarcity of resources is so that the resources is in the hands of a few, so many has to kind of scuffle and try to figure out, you know, how we're going to survive by fighting against each other, right? And trying to, in essence, oppress each other and corner um, some part of the market by, by undermining some other race or ethnicity. We don't, we don't have to huddle and exclude other people on account of their race and their ethnicity. If we begin to believe that we can share. So if there's a guy from Minneapolis, a Latino guy from Minneapolis that has an idea and he's looking for a piece um, of the puzzle to help him fulfill that, wouldn't it be fantastic if he could find that piece of the puzzle in the Hmong community? Or if the Hmong guy or Hmong gal 
has an idea that they want to fulfill and they're looking at something, wouldn't it be fast, fantastic that they could find what they're looking for in the Nigerian community? Right? Some people may say, ah, that's like fairy tale living. But isn't that what we are claiming? Isn't that we're the kind of unity that we're claiming? So I think two things. We got to be truthful about what is racism. So when we're coming together and we're doing things, it's not just um, sentiment. How I measure if a space is healthy and it's actually doing something against uh, racism, I look at the numbers. I ask myself, who is making the money? I ask myself, whose business is growing? And if it's not African-American specifically that are there, to me, that space isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's benefiting from the idea that it's doing something great for black folks, but black folks aren't benefiting from it. And when I say black folks, I mean African-American people specifically. So what I must say is that I am thankful to have had African-Americans in my life that was able to really help me understand. You know, I remember in college, I remember people like Dr. Kenneth Young just uh, being around, you know, young black men and women trying to find their space in a society or community that doesn't really see them in any places of power or influence or try to change things. If it wasn't for guys like that, then we would not have had the resilience, the resilience to overcome and to not become bitter and to focus on your dreams and, and how to move. If you're new, you're like, you're going to stand for something. It gives you an idea into the mind of the African-American community because they have dealt with this so long. And a lot of times they just keep quiet because they learn how to navigate because when people speak the truth, there is a backlash, right? Because folks are like, well, I'm not going to hire this guy. I'm not going to hire that girl because they are talking about race and I feel uncomfortable about it and they don't line up with my political views maybe. So we're going to keep our what money and, and power. The other side of that coin is that sometimes the truth is what sets you free and the freedom to see each other, not as differences, but to understand, hey, you know how I got here? I had to take this way and took this long way and I had to go across the street and I had to come up here. And maybe you got here a different way, right? But it's important for us to understand. And I would say this. This is my belief. You don't have to share it. This is my belief. I would say anyone who has come to the United States, that's not... Let me, let me put it like this. When you signed your immigration papers, you didn't put black on there. You were able to put something else. I would say it is in your benefit to find an African-American intellectual and just spend time with them understanding the story. Because that, I think, is the key. Don't assume that you've got it figured out and your virtue is enough. But for me personally, 
It helped shape my worldview because I was able to, in essence, sit under or sit with, you know, African-Americans intellectuals so that I was able to understand this is why this is like this. This is why people feel like this. This is why this is like this. And it's made me healthy in a sense so that I can I can walk with anyone. To be honest, I can walk with anyone because it gave me the understanding and the compassion and more so a fundamental understanding of the issues and what real progress actually looks like. So I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. Again, like I said, it was dear to my heart. I would love to hear your comments. Leave it in the, in the description. All right. God bless.